Please turn again to Proverbs chapter 1 and have the first seven verses of this book open before you. It be helpful to do that as we study these words together this evening. We're thinking tonight about the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. You and I have access to more information than perhaps any generation in history. We can find out the answer to virtually anything in seconds in ways that we would hardly have believed possible maybe even just as short as 20 years ago. We have computers, phones, TVs. We do still have books on the off chance that people might want to read them. And in all of these ways, information is there. It's at our fingertips. We can get the answer to anything in a second. The internet in general and and social media in particular is changing the way that we use information. It used to be that you read something to learn it and to remember it for the long term. And now information is there just to be used as quickly as possible. And you probably don't need to remember it and indeed you'll forget it again very quickly. Maybe some of you, uh, you're old enough to remember maybe having to remember uh, to, to rhyme off uh, maybe four or five telephone numbers of the people closest to you. In, in case of emergency, you would learn some telephone numbers off by heart. How many of us know telephone numbers off by heart anymore? Uh, some of us probably don't even know our own mobile number. Um, we don't need to know it. It's just there in front of us. We can uh, get it uh, in a second. And so the way that we use information has perhaps changed quite drastically in recent years. And there's been many studies done and many books written on the subject of people, uh, of how how technology is even rewiring our brains in some cases, that that we're not maybe using our brains in the way that once we did to remember things for the long term. I wonder, can you remember even one or two of the things that you Googled uh, last week? Can you remember? Uh, Maybe not. Uh, Younger people, I wonder, do they remember what they've, liked or reposted on social media even a few days later. Maybe not because it's here one day and gone the next. We have information in bucket loads, but it doesn't necessarily stay with us or matter that much to us, even in the short term. Despite our superabundance of information, people aren't necessarily wiser. In fact, based on the evidence, you could argue that our culture is actually much less wise, much more foolish than it was before we had all this information at our fingertips. Having information is not the same thing as being wise. Having information doesn't automatically make us wise people. There are plenty of people with lots of letters after their name or lots of cash in the bank, but they're not wise And quite often, in fact, we say that when we read stories about them in the newspapers, you read it and you think, that person's not wise. And you're absolutely right. To be wise is much more than knowing lots of facts or having lots of money or having lots of information. It's knowing how to use those things and other things as well. It's the ability to decide on the right way forward, the best way forward, based on all the information and all the uh, facts that we have. Uh, Timothy Keller, uh, the late Timothy Keller, who who wrote a book on the book of Proverbs, he says, wisdom is not only for, quote, deep thinkers. Wisdom is how you get through daily life. 
It helps you, he says, know what to do when your child comes home from school with a black eye or when you suddenly come into unexpected money or when you lose your job. It's very practical. Wisdom is a very practical matter. There's a wise way and a foolish way to be a student at school or university or college. And it isn't dependent on how good your exam results are. There's a wise way and a foolish way to be a husband or a wife, a parent or a child, a a farmer, a teacher, an employer, an employee. There's a wise way and a foolish way to speak, to use your words, to use your money, to use your time. There's a wise way and a foolish way to make decisions and plan for your future. Wisdom is needed for every part of our lives. And that's what brings us to the book of Proverbs, also known as the book of wisdom. Proverbs, as the trust will see over the coming weeks, it's, it's, it's an extremely practical book. Uh, the first few chapters are a little bit different, although they do tie in with what comes afterwards. Uh, most of the book is, is just these little short, pithy sayings, these words of wisdom. They're, they're not promises. Uh, it's not to say some of the Proverbs that we read that they're telling us something that will always be true or always happen. It's words of general wisdom that we can apply to our lives. We're going to spend uh, sometimes going through the book verse by verse. Other times we'll maybe take a theme like work or marriage uh, or, or money. Uh, and we'll maybe bring together a few different proverbs and see what the book in general has to say on those subjects. If we understand this book correctly, we'll see that wisdom has much less to do with acquiring information than it has about living life in the way that God has commanded. Living as a parent, a spouse, a worker, a church member, whatever it may be, in a wise way. And so tonight we're just going to ease our way into the book, so to speak. We're going to introduce ourselves to the book and, and pay attention to how it begins because the first seven verses are sort of a purpose statement uh, for the book of Proverbs. And so I want to think first of all with you tonight about why Proverbs exists. Why, why is this book here? Why is it part of God's word? What led to it being coming about? We'll look at verse one. <clears throat> the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. A king has written this book and other kings as well, in fact, have contributed to small portions of it. But the vast majority of it has been written by Solomon. He is the human author of Proverbs. Every book of the Bible, we believe, is breathed out by God. Uh, The Holy Spirit was, if you like, the wind in the seals of those who literally put the pen to paper. Uh, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that God has breathed out the Scriptures. Uh, But God used a huge variety of different types of people to write down his word. And most of Proverbs has been written down by a king. A successful, a prosperous, a a world-famous king. Even amongst those who aren't believers in our world today, some have still heard of Solomon and his wisdom and wealth. Now, he doesn't seem to have been the only human author of the book. Uh, Chapter 25, verse 1 mentions that King Hezekiah also had uh, a role in this book. Uh, Two other contributors are mentioned in chapters 30 and 31. But the vast majority of the book is written by Solomon. 
And Solomon was by no means the only king or the only wise man to write down a book of what would be called a book of wisdom. Archaeologists and historians have discovered books very similar to Proverbs, uh, the same genre of of wisdom literature. Those books have been discovered in places like Egypt and and Mesopotamia uh, and other ancient civilizations. And what tends to happen is that when powerful nations or superpowers like Egypt or Greece or Rome or even the British Empire, when they're at the height of their power and prosperity, people begin writing and people begin creating art and building great monuments and asking the deeper questions of of the purpose of life and, uh, and writing on the human experience. And so you have some of the great monuments of the world, the Egyptian pyramids, for example, or some of the great literature like the English romantics. And that's in a sense what happened uh, with Solomon, with the, the kingdom of Israel when it reached its peak and prosperity. Solomon, of course, became king upon the death of his father, David. And King David was the warrior king. David always had another battle to fight, another enemy to run off and deal with. Solomon then, coming after David, Solomon benefited from the security that David achieved by defeating Israel's enemies. Solomon's name comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. Solomon didn't fight battles with nearby nations. He struck trade deals with nearby nations. And he was usually, always really, in the stronger negotiating position when he struck those trade deals. He increased the wealth of Israel to proportions never seen in their history. He built a glorious temple in Jerusalem, one of the ancient wonders of the world. He built... Just in some ways, just as much of a beautiful and glorious palace for himself in Jerusalem. He provided work and income for his people. He had the respect of the nations and they sent him their gifts and their representatives and made peace agreements with him. Solomon's reign, friends, was the golden age in Israel. Listen to how 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 23 sums it all up. 1 Kings 10, 23. King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses and mules, so much year by year. And it's in times like that, as I say, that you often find people writing and expressing themselves and reflecting upon all that they have and all that they see. But where did it all begin for Solomon? How did he achieve so much and build so much and understand so much? Well, it all started with that simple prayer that we read earlier. 1 Kings 3 verse 9. Solomon says to God, give your servant an understanding mind. To govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon began his reign, friends, by by seeking the wisdom of God. He began his reign by demonstrating a healthy fear, a healthy reverence for the one true covenant, gracious God of Israel. The same God that 
his father David had served. King David was not a perfect king as the scriptures make very clear. But he was a godly king. And he was victorious and he was mighty and he was powerful. Imagine being in Solomon's shoes. Knowing the record that his father had had. Imagine thinking I'm going to have to live up to that. Solomon's job was in many ways going to be far harder. Anybody can go off and fight battles. You give it your best and you see what happens. It takes a lot more, well, it takes a different type of skill set. A lot more patience, arguably a lot more wisdom to build and maintain a a prosperous kingdom. Winston Churchill was arguably the, the greatest prime minister our country has had. There's no exaggeration to say that without his leadership, we might not have won World War II. But less than two months after the war was over, Churchill was defeated in the general election. He was a wartime leader and the British people now wanted a fresh start during peacetime. A whole different skill set is needed to make a country prosperous in peacetime. And so Solomon asked God for wisdom. He, he devoted his life to understanding the world and gaining knowledge and applying that knowledge to his everyday life. Uh, listen to 1 Kings 4 verses 29 to 34. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Goes on to say, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Friends, the book of Proverbs exists because Solomon asked God for help. He sought to be a wise man. He wanted his people to be wise people. He shared what he learned. He wrote down and collected his writings. Proverbs exists because King Solomon was wise enough to ask for more wisdom. Proverbs exists because King Solomon wanted all of God's people to ask for more wisdom. And that leads us to our second point. Having thought about why it is or how it is that Proverbs exists. Who is Proverbs for? Who is Proverbs for? Well, verses 2 to 6 perhaps sound as if they're saying the same thing over and over again. And in one sense they are. That's one of the marks of uh, the Hebrew language, particularly poetic or wisdom writings in Hebrews, uh, in the the language of Hebrew, uh, that the words or ideas are repeated several times, and that's to emphasize their importance. Uh, But the different words used here in verses 2 to 6 are significant. If you look at verses 2 and 3, for example, the word instruction or discipline, depending on your translation, it's mentioned twice in verses 2 and 3. If we want to become wise, we need discipline. Discipline, as we've been thinking about in the men's fellowship, uh, as we go through the book together, it requires commitment and sacrifice and devotion to the task. Keller says that discipline means being drilled by an instructor who gets right up in your face. You've probably seen a TV program or a film at some point where a sports coach or or a military uh, captain or or a military man with men under his command 
Uh, he's motivating his troops. He's motivating his men during their training. And he gets right up in their face and shouts at them and, and, and barks orders at them. And there's a sense in which if we want to undergo discipline, we, we need to let God's word get right up in our face. See what it has to say about our, our, our job, our, our family life, the, the rules that God has called us to live out. Verse 3 also says that the purpose of this discipline is for wise dealing. Or again, some of your translations will have to be prudent, to be prudent. The word could also be translated to have success. Solomon hasn't written Proverbs just to make us feel bad. He's written it so that we would be successful people. He himself, of course, was very successful. And Christians sometimes have the mistaken notion that it's somehow not godly to be successful. There have been whole strains of Christian tradition that have emphasized that we should just have as, as little as possible, that we, we shouldn't be striving to excel. That's a, that's a misguided, it might be a well-intentioned, but it's a misguided notion. The, the world needs successful Christians. More successful Christian teachers Christian lawmakers, Christian farmers, Christian businessmen and women. Think how much better the world would be if Christians were the most successful people. It's not ungodly to have drive, uh, a desire to expand the business or, or to work towards a promotion or, or to get a place in a particular university or whatever it may be. Now, of course, we, we shouldn't let an ambition become an idol. It's not to become all-consuming. We don't pursue some of those things at, at any cost to ourselves or to others. But Proverbs is here to help us work towards success in a God-honoring way. And that comes out in the second half of verse 3. Uh, verse 3 balances this idea of success very nicely. It says, so that we might be committed to righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, that we would have sanctified, godly, God-honoring success. Notice also who Solomon dedicates this book to, verse 4. To give prudence, he says, verse 4, to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. A lot of Proverbs can be applied specially to young people. And quite often in the book, there's the language of a father speaking to his son. The book is here to instruct and direct and encourage the next generation. He also mentions the simple. Uh, and this just means people who are neither very wise nor very foolish. So most of us. Uh, people who are still deciding in some cases maybe what they want to do with their lives. Which God are they going to worship? Which person are they going to marry? What is it that they're going to do? And so when we read the word simple there, it doesn't mean uh, a stupid person or, or a silly person. It just means someone who just lacks experience. They, they haven't got to certain milestones in life yet. They're, they're young. They still have things to learn. Uh, and it's not that they have to be young. It's that they're, they're open no matter what age they are. They're, they're open to being taught and to being led and, and to, to learn from those who are maybe a stage ahead of them in life, who are wiser than them. But notice who else is included. Not just young people, not just simple people. Verse 5 says, 
Let the wise increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. One of the marks of a truly wise person is that they know that they still have a lot to learn. Often in the stories we love to read or to watch, particularly the stories of heroes and villains, uh, the villain is often someone arrogant, someone too confident in their own abilities. Maybe they're very powerful, but they have blind spots. They, they, they think they've reached a point where no one is going to be able to touch them. No one can beat them. Only for all their best laid plans to come undone. Solomon says, I've written these proverbs for the wise. So that the wise might increase in wisdom. Wise people can always get a little wiser. So the book is written to give us knowledge. It's written to give us some in-your-face instruction. It's written for the young, the simple, and the wise. And to sum it up, friends, the book of Proverbs is written for people who know that they lack wisdom. Who know that they lack wisdom or are prone to lacking wisdom in certain areas. And it's written by someone who knew that he himself lacked wisdom, as we've thought about already. 1 Kings 3 verse 7, Solomon says, and remember he is, he's a full grown man, he's, he's a married man when he says this, he's a king when he says this, but he says in 1 Kings 3 7, I am like a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Give your servant an understanding mind. So there was Solomon, a king, a king of a secure kingdom. King already had some success at this part of his life. But he wanted to keep that attitude of being like a little child. He wasn't childish. He was childlike. And there's a big difference between those two. To be, to be childish is, is to be silly and selfish and spoilt. To be childlike is to be open to, to learning new things. To be teachable and humble. And Jesus of course has said that unless we become like a little child we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so to really benefit from the book of Proverbs, you need to come to it with a childlike attitude. You need to really believe that you still have a lot to learn. Some of you have been married for decades. You've worked at the same job for decades. You've raised your children who are doing pretty well. And you've managed to navigate through maybe some tricky stages or situations in life. Are you still willing to learn? You are maybe very wise. Are you willing to increase in wisdom? Paul said in Philippians 3.10, the Apostle Paul, who was top of the class in the Jewish educational system, who spoke several languages, who was maybe the greatest missionary that has ever lived, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul already knew Christ, but he wanted to know more of Christ. Christ, of course, who is, as we'll think more in a moment, wisdom itself. Are you willing to learn more? Are you willing to grow in grace? Are you willing to increase in wisdom? 
One of the many, many, many old pop songs from the 70s that my dad used to play in the car when we were growing up. I remember a song called You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Maybe some of you remember it. Um, You maybe think you've seen it all. 2024 might be the year when we suddenly realise we ain't seen nothing yet. And we're going to need wisdom like we've never had before. Some of our young people are at the stage of life when they're still figuring out what they want to do, where you want to go. Are you willing to be instructed by your parents, by teachers, by mentors, people you look up to, by God's word first and foremost? Are you willing to have some tough, thought-provoking, in-your-face teaching from God's word in a time and a generation, friends, that is addicted to easy information? Are we going to work hard to be wise and to store up the wisdom of God's word? Not just to to get it and use it and move on. Maybe it makes for a nice looking social media post. Are we going to store it up and remember it and feed upon it and grow wise from it? Proverbs was written by someone who lacked wisdom and it's written for people who, if they're willing to admit it, lack wisdom as well. So why, does, why is the book of Proverbs in our Bibles or how did it get there through Solomon asking God for wisdom? Who is it for? It's for people like Solomon who know that they lack wisdom. And finally this evening, where Proverbs begins, where Proverbs begins. Hopefully uh, whetted your appetite to dig into Proverbs over the next few weeks. What's the first thing we need to learn? How do we start getting wiser? Well, look at verse 7, Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Chapter 9 verse 10 says something very similar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Solomon says if you want to be truly wise. To live your life in the wisest, most successful, most joyful way. If you want to be blessed in your marriage, in your friendships, in your work, here's where it starts. You need to fear the Lord. And the word fear here, it doesn't mean quite being afraid of someone or something. It's not saying you you need to have a fear of God the way some people have a fear of spiders or small spaces or heights. Uh, The word means that you stand in awe of someone. That you have such respect, that you hold someone in such high honour that you don't want to do anything that would disappoint them. That you want to listen to every word they speak to you. You love them. You want to please them. You respect them. Maybe you think that sounds a bit sad or a bit boring having to listen to and please someone else all the time. The truth is, friends, every single one of us is living to please someone might be the boss that can give you the promotion you want. might be the young guy or the young girl that you think would be the ideal boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. It might be yourself, as is the case for so many in our culture now that we believe ourselves to be answerable to no one but us. We, We plan our lives around ourselves. We live to please ourselves. As human beings, we have a natural desire to reverence and worship and fear someone. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, that if we're not 
worshipping and serving the, the creator. We're going to worship and serve some part of creation. Some person, some object, some ideal. The whole focus of Proverbs, friends, is on fearing God. Showing greatest respect, having greatest concern for him. And what he has to say about all those other important areas of our lives. Money, marriage, friendships, speech, work. The starting point has to be, if we want to gain wisdom in any of those areas, our relationship with God. One of the first questions you should always ask when you come to study any book of the Bible is, where is Jesus in this book? How am I being directed towards him? Where do I see his character being held up? Where do I see, if you like, his likeness, his fingerprints or footprints, so to speak? Well, in the book of Proverbs, friends, every wise speech, every wise saying, it all ultimately comes from Jesus. It is Jesus. Jesus is wisdom himself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus Christ is the personification of the wisdom of God. You want to look at someone who lived wisely? Look at Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews says, chapter 1 verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ, friends, is the wisdom that we find and read in the book of Proverbs. Every wise word Proverbs has to say about how children should treat their parents, Jesus has given it and Jesus has lived it. Every wise word Proverbs has to say about our work, Jesus has given it and Jesus has lived it. Every wise word Proverbs has to say about our relationships, Jesus has lived it and Jesus has given it. It's amazing to think that Jesus never looked back at the end of a day or the end of a week and thought, I wish I could go back and do that differently. Barely a week goes by when I don't think that at some point. Don't know about you. But Jesus never thought that because he lived the perfectly wise life. And a wise life begins with fearing and reverencing and worshipping God. That's what Jesus did in his human flesh. We, we saw an example of that this morning. Uh, as we looked at his temptations that he continually rejected the easy way of Satan. Which was ultimately a way of foolishness. And he committed himself to fearing his father. To reverencing and obeying his father. And having lived a life of wise obedience. Jesus offered himself up on the cross in the place of us. Foolish, disobedient sinners. In Christ we can be called wise instead of fools. In Christ we can be called sons instead of sinners. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Solomon says. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom. The most foolish thing a person can do is despise Christ. Reject Christ and go to hell. Because you don't have to. The way of wisdom has been presented to you. The way of life. The person who walks near the cliff edge, ignoring the signs about those, those dangerous rocks and high winds, ignoring the shouts and cries of those nearby, 
That person has no one to blame but themselves. That person is a fool who then falls over the side of the cliff. They, they heard the warnings. They didn't pay attention. And even more foolish is the one who dies in their sin and goes to a lost eternity. Despite having the warnings to walk in the path of wisdom that Jesus Christ lays out for us. You might well make a lot of money. You might become a very popular person. You might enjoy a long and happy marriage, a gift from God. But if you have not lived for the fear of the Lord out of joy and gratitude in Jesus Christ, you will die a fool and you will lose it all. So we're warned this evening to be wise. And wisdom begins, we're told, with the fear of the Lord. The literal word there for Lord and block capitals there in verse 7, uh, the word Lord is the word Yahweh. It's that special name for God in the Old Testament, a God of covenant love, a God of grace, a God of patience and kindness towards sinners who wants us to live blessed, joyful, useful lives. He's given us a book full of wisdom. And it's not just a book written by a very wise human king long ago. It's a book breathed out by the all-wise all-knowing God, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 42, that the Queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, he said, something greater than Solomon is here. And so, friends, may we, stu- may we study this book. May we become more like Jesus Christ. May we look to him who is wisdom itself. And by God's grace, may we grow in wisdom, living lives that reverence and bring glory to our good, gracious, and wise God. Amen.